When did John Lennon write that? Do you have any clue? I don't know. 70s. But, you know, imagine there's no heaven, uh, no hell below, uh, no um, only sky above. Uh, imagine uh, that there is uh, no religion. Uh, that's exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to imagine. When he looks under the sun for happiness, when he looks under the sun where there is no sky, when there is no heaven above, there's no religion, there's no hell below, he just looks right here on this earth, right here. What do we have to be able to imagine right here on this, on this earth? And, and John Lennon's song is exactly what Solomon tried to be able to do when he looked at the world under the sun. Just right here. Uh, just the lyric in there said, live for life today. Just live right here. Solomon was, the Bible says, the wisest man who ever lived. Wealthy man, and he was king of Israel in 40 peaceful years. It meant that he didn't have uh, wars to fight, and he could sit around and think about important things. And so he searched for the meaning of life. He searched for uh, the purpose of life. He searched for definition of himself and what is this thing all about. And, and um, he looked for it under the sun 29 times. That little phrase, under the sun, comes in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says, when you look under the sun, it's all meaningless, meaningless, emptiness, emptiness, futility, futility. It makes no sense under the sun. It makes no sense under the sun. And we've been talking about that for the last three weeks. Of the senselessness that the wisest man who ever lives says, comes up with when he talks about life under the sun. This morning, I want to talk about searching for God, but not only searching for God, about finding God. Um, it's very cool today, very sophisticated to say that you're searching for God. You're searching, I'm a spiritual person and I'm searching. It's very cool today. No one will ridicule you. No one will call you a narrow-minded religious born-again bigot if you say you're searching. I'm searching. That's very cool, very sophisticated thing to say. But once you find something, then you become a narrow-minded religious bigot. Have you ever found that out? And they don't like you then. And um, so it's like people that are searching but don't really ever want to find because sometimes the God they find is not the God they were looking for because they were God, looking for a God that agreed with them and the God that agreed with their lifestyle, a God who agreed with their morality, a God of their own understanding, a God that they could make uh, in their own image, a God that they could be cool with. But it's cool to be able to say we're, we're, we're searching. And we want to talk about not only searching today, but we want to talk about finding. And we um, understand that, that finding God, there are some common denominators in all the ways that we found God. And there's those same common denominators work for you, Christian friend, if you're trying to search for more of God in your life. And your Christian life is not as fulfilling as you wanted it to be, and, and you want more of God. The same common denominators apply if you're searching for God to find God in the first place, but now if you want more of God. Um, before we go any farther, I want to introduce to you a young man that found God this week. Brandon uh, Vamos, would you come forward, please? Where are you today, Brandon? There he is. Come on forward, please, Brandon. Brandon came to my office Tuesday. We talked for a long time because Brandon was struggling with a lot of things in his life, and he was um, 
kind of hard for him to figure out why he wasn't making ends meet and he's trying to become more spiritual and he's trying to get his life in order but it wasn't uh, going the way he wanted to and it was a hard time for me to get I, 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 I'm trying, I'm, I, I, but I got to, but I just need to. I was trying to, hard to get that out of the way. And I was trying to be able to tell him, Jesus has already done this for you. And, and by you saying, I, 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 you're really slapping Jesus in the face because he's died for you. And he just wants you to be able to accept that. And the brain is not the only person that has an issue with that. That is just 2014 man that who's been taught to pick ourselves up on bootstraps and we're not going to get anything in life unless we earn it and 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 jesus says the gift of god is eternal life and would you would you just accept this great gift and watch god change your life and so we talked through a lot of things and one thing i appreciate about brandon this was a hard decision for him there have been people come in my office kind of ditz you know flippy yeah i think i want to be a christian you know i just tell them to leave almost because they they're not serious enough to be a christian yet they're just not serious enough. He had a hard time just making the decision. He, I, I was watching the battle being fought before my very eyes because he knew that becoming a Christian was going to be a life-changing experience for him. And he knew that God was going to mess with his life. And he didn't want to mock God. And he wanted, he wanted to do it sincerely and seriously. So after a conversation for over an hour, um, on Tuesday at 4.20 p.m., Brandon prayed and he found God in a very real way prayed the most genuine and sincere prayer and I think we're looking at a guy that has the potential to be a fine fine Christian man and I am so excited about that and I had I just wanted to bring him in front of all of us as I do for everyone that we lead to Christ and just for accountability for him this is real man you're sitting here telling everybody in the first service and second service about it it's no closet Christians and also for to you to be able to encourage him and when you see Brandon and to be able to say hey man I've been where you are we'll pray for you and um, that's all I wanted to be able to do to introduce Brandon Bamos for you as a new brother in Christ. Let's encourage him one more time. Congratulations. Appreciate you, man. If you have your Bible, would you open it to the, one of the most famous chapters in all of God's Word, Exodus chapter 3. It's one of the most preached passages in all of Scripture. We could probably preach for a month of Sundays in Exodus chapter 3. I'm just going to hit a few things today. If you uh, don't have your Bible and want to grab one that's by the doorways here, please feel free to do that. If you grab one that on the black covers, it's on page 40. Uh, uh, in that Bible, I'm not sure what Bible it is, in the, what page it is on the books in the red cover. But Exodus chapter 3, it's easy to find Exodus because it's the second book in the uh, Old Testament. Exodus chapter 3, and I'll be reading today from the New King James Version. I chose that version for a reason. What we have up here, Jen. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Orab, the mountain of God. And the, the angel of the Lord, not a angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, I could preach about that if we don't have time. The angel of the Lord early foreshadowing of Jesus, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. 
Then Moses says, I will now turn aside. Some of your translations said go over. Some of your translations say must go over. Um, I use this translation because I think it's the best. Turn aside. It's, uh, NIV tries to get at it with, by adding must go over with some urgency behind that. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a departing from what you were doing to something else. It's, it's leaving. It's, not, it's just not just kind of in the middle of something else. I'll go check this out. No, it's an intentional act of your will. I must go over or I will turn aside and go over to this. And that's important in this whole concept. Okay, um, next verse. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, there's a, something we could preach on right there. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, you draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. When the Lord saw that he looked, turned aside. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down. There's a sermon right there foreshadowing of Jesus for I have come down for I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land the land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the termites now therefore behold the cry of the Lord of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression for which the Egyptians oppress them Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring, them, bring the children out? He kind of sounds like Brandon. Who am I that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. God says this, and this, the angel of the Lord says this, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they say, Hey, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. There's some things we find in this story of people who are find God. If they are searching legitimately and searching honestly, some common denominators. And all of these wouldn't have happened to you, but for all of us, some of these would have happened if we really found God in a legitimate way, not just joined the church, not just got baptized, you found God. You found God. And there can be a big difference between in all of that. It's key there in, in the word turn aside. Moses says, I will turn aside. And, and, and that means more than just kind of looking over here. It means leaving what you're doing and going over there. It means taking your mind off what you're doing right here and going over there. 
It means leaving the everyday humdrum of life and and going over here. It's not like, uh, well, I've got to take the kids to soccer practice, and when I get back, I'll come over there. Well, I've got to tend the flock first, and once I tend the flock, you know, Jethro, he's a tough old man over here, and he'll fire me if I don't do a good job. Once I tend the flock, then I'll go over there. It's not that. It's an intentional turning from what you're doing and focusing right here. And there's a principle there that if you want to find God, it cannot be like whenever you have time. It cannot be like in, in the spare time that you have during the day. It cannot be like, well, when I, when I get my kids raised, I'll find God. It cannot be like when my life gets better, I'll find God. It cannot be like, well, when I quit drinking and smoking and chewing, I'll go find God. It's got to be an intentional act of the will, and it's got to be a focus here that I am searching. It's not just like, you know, it's a cool thing to do, but i got a lot of cool things to do. No, it's, it's I am turning aside. And people that search for God in that way will find God. The Bible says when you seek him and you seek him with all your heart, he says he will be found. You turned aside this morning. Or at least, or, or at least you, you're, you know, your body can be here, but your mind is not, cannot. You're, you're here in this place, and that's really cool, and that's great. But if you're here, body, soul, mind, and spirit, this is a turning aside. You know, you could be on the golf course, you could be painting your house, you could be doing the laundry, you could be doing a lot of things, but you turned aside from ordinary life. You turned aside from the the reality of this world. The ordinary life and the reality of this world has to happen. The laundry has to get done, the oil has to be changed, and the grass has to be mowed, all of that. But there has to be some component in your life for you to get serious about your spiritual life and realize all of that is under the sun's type of stuff, and I must turn aside to the eternal issues of my life after all he's put eternity in all of our hearts is what solomon said and that type of searching will end up finding finding are you that type of searcher oh i know you got to mow the grass and i know you got to go to work and i know you got to uh, go to walmart and i know you got to do all those kind of, I, I know that but is there a time in your life a weekly time in your life where you, 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 you turn off American Idol and you turn off the reality of this world under the sun and you focus and you turn aside. You'll never find him if you've never found him in the first place and you'll never have more of him if you won't turn aside. The under the sun stuff is not wrong. It's not bad. It's not sinful. It's just, it's just real life here under the sun. But to be able to focus above the sun is when finding God happens. And when he turns aside, he sees a burning bush. He sees a bush that's on fire, but the bush is not consumed. He sees a bush that's on fire, but the leaves are still green. He's never seen this in his life. He's seen, probably seen a bush on fire before. That's no big deal. But a, a bush that is on fire but not consumed, that's, that's, that's a burning bush. What is a burning bush in my life? What is a burning bush in your life? It's a God-inspired, life-changing moment. It's a God-inspired, life-changing moment. And, and, and for us, they won't come with a bush in a desert that is on fire but not consumed. They'll come in a lot of different ways. And I could preach forever on the different kind of burning bushes that all of you all have experienced. Well, let me just touch on a couple. A burning bush could be a person. You meet a person that lives a different way, that lives a different life. You meet a person that goes through difficulties of life and 
and, 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 and goes through it with peace and calm and confidence. You meet a person that shakes your view. Well, everybody just does this, but this person doesn't this. Everybody just goes to bed with, with, with 10 guys before they get married, but this person doesn't do this. Everybody goes out to drink, but this person doesn't do this. Uh, everybody on, Monday sleeps, sleeps off their hang- on Sunday sleeps off their hangovers, but this person goes to church. It just kind of blows my reality here, and that, that person can be a burning bush. It's a, a life-changing encounter that is God-inspired. And some of you have met people like that, that, that you that it inspired you and challenged you and, and, and you're a Christian today because of that. May have been a Sunday school teacher that, 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 that came and knocked on your door. Maybe a Sunday school teacher who went camping with you. It, it could have been a lot of different people. That's a burning bush. It's a life-changing experience, a life-changing encounter. That's God-inspired. That's God-inspired. That's the kind of burning bushes you see when you turn aside pastor friend told, my, told me of a, uh, a lady in his church that made a mistake at work that could have cost her her job. But her boss took the blame. Now, the, the, it wouldn't have cost the boss his job. He could have weathered that. But he took the blame for it to save her. And she went to him and just, you know, couldn't figure this out, you know. Why did you take this blame? And all, you know, you know. don't worry anybody would have done it she goes no anybody wouldn't have done that and he tried to pass her off and said you know thanks I appreciate it but you know don't worry about it she goes no why did you take this blame he goes okay I'm a Christian and I serve one who took the blame for me so I can take the blame for you What if, our, what if Christians lived out their Christianity in that way? How would this world be different if Christians lived out their Christianity in that way? And she said, Dan, where do you go to church? And he told her, and she's a Christian today. Sometimes a burning bush can be an encounter with a, with a person. Sometimes it, sometimes it can be a, a train of thought. Or I'd start thinking differently. You're a secular person, but you, you realize that secular thinking is, is, is kind of getting me nowhere. It seems to be meaningless under the sun. It seems to be empty under the sun. It seems to be futile under the sun. And so you start thinking differently, and you start thinking, well, I'm a secular person. I don't believe there's—I think we just evolved, and there, there's, there's, there's no God. There's no higher power. We just evolved. And, 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 but, but why do I have this sense of right and wrong in me if I just evolved from some, some little microorganism? Why do I have this sense of right and wrong? Why do I get mad when I see injustice? It, that doesn't doesn't really make any sense if I just there's no meaning or no purpose there's nothing higher in life and I just evolved from this little microorganism why do I have this sense of right and wrong in my spirit and sometimes a different way of thinking and you know, reading a book and uh, hearing a message a different way of thought can be a burning bush can be a burning bush that gets us out of the ordinary life that gets us out of real life Because unless we leave the the under-the-sun reality of under-the-sun living, unless we turn aside, unless we, NIV, must go over and see what this bush is, we're not finding God. Because you won't find him unless you seek him with all your heart. And if i got to take my kids to soccer first, I'm not seeking him with all my heart. Real life 
keeps us from God many times. Realize it's got to happen. I mean, it's got to happen, okay? But a preoccupation with real life and a preoccupation with the things of this world and a preoccupation with things under the sun can keep us from God. C.S. Lewis knew that. How many of you read the screw tape letters? Raise your hand if you've read the screw tape letters. We need to see more hands on that. Go get this little paperback book. You can buy it for a little bit of nothing on Amazon now called the screw tape letters. It's an amazing little fiction. I hope it's fiction. It's an amazing little fictional account of a elderly demon demon who's like a retired demon now or at least pretty high up in the demon bureaucracy and he's advising his nephew wormwood who's now a demon who's active out there on the field trying to lead us all astray and c.s lewis writes letters that come from screw tape to wormwood wormwood is the new little rookie demon and he says how do you how and he on, and the book is how do, how do you deal with your patients and we are the patients we are the patients how, how, do, how do you keep them from going astray do I have some of this on there now this is a long read okay but I think it's worth it okay hang in there with me till we get to the real stuff first of all this letter now that one experienced demon is writing to a rookie demon on how to handle us the trouble about argument is that it moves the whole struggle into the enemies. So when, when, when Screwtape, the demon, is talking about the enemy, he's talking about God or Jesus. It moves the whole thing on the enemy's whole ground. By the very act of arguing, you awake the patient's reason. And once it is awake, you cannot foresee the result. So the demon don't want you truly thinking. That's why we encourage you to be thinking people. You have to think through things and think through the consequences of your line of thought. And you have to you have to mull things over in your mind and then you have to turn off the tv and you have to turn off the under the sun stuff because that that don't increase your reason that doesn't increase you from re, increase your ability to be able to reason and think through difficult stuff so the the demon here is afraid if you think and thinking can be a burning bush as i just told you even if a particular train of thought can be twisted so it's it's to your favor there wormwood you will find that you have been strengthening you have been strengthening in your patient the fatal habit of attending to eternal issues keep him from attending to eternal issues keep him going to soccer practice keep him going to piano lessons keep him paying the bills keep him trying to get along with his wife keep him trying to to get a raise at work keep him doing all those under the sun stuff don't let him attend to eternal issues The fatal habit of attending to eternal issues and withdrawing his attention from, from immediate experiences. What's a demon want? We want your attention on the immediate, the here and now, the right now, under the sun, the immediate experiences. We do not want your attention on over the sun stuff. The demon does not want the attention on eternal issues, above the sun type of thinking. Your business is to fix his attention on these immediate experiences. Teach him to call it real life. Get real, man. That Christianity's not real life. I, don't, I live in the real, I live in the here and now, man. The real life. Teach him to call it real life, but don't let him ask what he means by real, because that's teaching him to think eternally. My dear Wormwood, you have never been of human, so you don't realize how enslaved they are to the pressure of the ordinary. I once had a patient. 
a sound atheist who used to read in the British Museum. One day, as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. The enemy, God, of course, was at his elbow in a moment. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years of work beginning to talk. If I had lost my head and began to attempt a defense by argument, I would have been undone. You can't reason, because reason is on our side. But I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested that it was just about time he had some lunch. Lunch is not a bad thing. Lunch is not sin. Lunch is a good thing. But get, your, get his mind off of eternal issues. Put it on the immediate. In fact, this was much too important to tackle at the end of the morning. Much better to come back after lunch and go at it with a fresh mind. That's where the enemy works. See, the enemy can't, enemy can't, if you're walking with God, the enemy can't, the enemy can't get you to turn around. But if you're walking with God, he can get you to veer off a little. By the end of that thought, I was already halfway to the door. He, excuse me, he was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him the newsboy who was shouting the midday paper, and I showed him the number 73 bus that was going past. Before he reached the bottom of the steps, he had an unalterable conviction that odd ideas come into his head when he is shut up alone with his books. A healthy dose of real life was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. The patient is now safe in our father's house below. Real life gets in the way. Busyness is a great, great tactic of the enemy. But I'm busy with good things. I know you are. But a lot of us are such enslaved to the good that we miss the best. We're so slave to the good things of life that we miss the best. A person can be a burning bush. A train of thought can be a burning bush. Trouble can be a burning bush. God doesn't cause that trouble, but he'll use that trouble. That trouble was probably caused by my own lousy choice. But he'll take that and he'll use it. And he'll show me what a mess I've made of my life. This is, would be my testimony, and some of you have heard it. I, I, was, I was realized at the age of 34 what a mess I've made of my life and the trouble that had come into my life. And it, 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 I was just, I knew at that point that I couldn't take care of myself and I had to reach up to another. And it took 34 years to get through my hard head. And trouble, many times, can be a burning bush for us. Oh, you weak Christians, you just need a crutch. Just suck it up and deal with it. It's real life. You don't have to have any fantasy pie in the sky, some, some kind of Santa Claus in the sky to be able to help you. God can use trouble, though, and make it a burning bush in your life. He can use emptiness. This was part of my testimony in two. I got everything I wanted in life. I, I had my house that I wanted in 1993, three acres sitting on the, uh, in the country, had an in-ground swimming pool. I'd become kind of an important person I always to become, but I told you I've sit my lazy boy, and I think thoughts like there has to be more to life than this. 
and you're making a good salary and you've got a nice house and you're driving a nice car and, and you've got some respect at work, but you're not fulfilled like you thought you were going to be. That can be a burning bush. You're coming to understand that this is meaningless. It's not bringing me what I thought it was going to bring me. In that emptiness. You've been trying to get life under control. You've been working 70 hours a week. You, 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 you just think, if I can just work hard enough and keep my nose to the grindstone, if I can just be smart enough, I can lick this whole life thing, and I can get this whole life thing under control, and I can get the tiger by the tail, and I can do all this myself, and you've realized you can't anymore. That can be a burning bush for you. It can be a God-inspired, life-changing decision life-changing experience for you. It's a burning bush. You've got to turn aside to see those. You've got to turn aside to see those. Graduated from seminary, I had three churches to try to decide from on where to go plant a church. And I told this friend of mine, I said, you know, I just really need a burning bush. I really, I really need God to speak to me in a, in a, a profound way. I don't want to make the wrong choice. And the other guy at the end of the phone, the wise guy said, Mark, you're in your last year of seminary. You're taking 15 graduate hours. You're pastoring two churches. You're trying to be a good husband. You're too busy. Burning bushes happen in the wilderness. You've got to get away and turn aside. If you, Christian friend, want more of God, the same things can apply to you. You need some kind of a burning bush. You thought Jesus was your sufficiency, but your wife left you, and you realized she was your sufficiency. You thought Jesus was your sufficiency, but you lost your job, and you've fallen apart, and you thought, now you know that Jesus wasn't your sufficiency. It was your job, and your security was your sufficiency. Maybe God can use that difficulty of a lost job to bring you to being able to say, I'm desperate for you. I'm more desperate for you than I am my wife. Now, people that seeking like that will find. They will find. So, Christian friend, if you want more of God, it's some kind of burning bush, some kind of life-changing experience. Your wife coming in and catching you with pornography on the, on the internet, and you just finally say, I can't deal with this anymore. I've tried to kick it on my own, and it can't happen. I just can't kick it on my own. I've got to have some help. That could be a burning bush for you. That could be a burning bush for you. So you get more of God. Lean in more. Push in harder. Lean more. Trust more. People that turn aside will see burning bushes that way. You don't turn aside when your life is filled with soccer and swimming and piano and, and all those things. They're under the sun stuff. They have to happen. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not sinful, but there has to be a place in life where you turn aside. You have to manage those things. You've got to change your oil. You've got to go to Walmart. You've got to make a living. All those things, they're good. Nobody's saying don't do those things, but there has to be a time in your life when you think about eternal issues. There has to be a lot time in life that you acknowledge that eternity is in your heart, and you have to turn aside. If you don't, you'll get lost in real life. 
and you're not far from your father's house below. One other thing I want to show you in this passage. Moses says, I will turn aside and look at this. And, when God, and the Bible says, when God saw him turn aside, there's a whole sermon right there. When God saw him turn aside, then he spoke. Can't hear God in real life. When God saw him turn aside and focus on, not focusing on shepherding anymore, not focusing on, on blaming whoever because he's been on the backside of the desert for 40 years and he used to be in Pharaoh's house. Not playing the victim anymore. When he turns aside to be able to look to God, then God calls him, Moses, 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 Moses. He's the God that wants a relationship with you. Moses, 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 Connie, Connie, Dave, Dave, Victoria, Victoria, Darren, Darren, Garrison, Garrison, Mike, Mike, Jeff, Jeff. He's calling you, but he does an odd thing after he calls you, Chris, Chris. Glenn, Glenn, he calls you. He does an odd thing. When Moses takes a step to him, he says, don't come any farther. This is holy ground, man. Well, you just called me to you. Don't come any farther. You need to take those shoes off right now. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. God wants us to be close and personal. But you'll find God when you realize he's God and you're not. And you're willing to find him no matter who he is. He revealed himself in a fire. Fire stands for justice. Fire stands for truth. Fire stands for righteousness. He didn't reveal himself as clay, clay that I can mold and make God whoever I want. He says, my name is I am who I am. He didn't say my name is I am whoever you want me to be. And when you're looking, when you're searching, you will find if you're willing to look for a God that you find, no matter what your preconceived notations of him are, no matter what your morality already is, no matter what your understanding of religion or Christianity already is, if you're willing to find the God who is even if it disagrees with your reality of God. And after all, we, we know that reality, our understanding of reality is not really reality. We've all learned that, right? The reality is always different than what we thought it was. It's always different. And if we'll, if we'll realize, if we'll realize that God is the God who is and not the God that I want to dream up. Oh, I, I, I'm searching for God, but I don't want God to mess with my boyfriend and me and my boyfriend's relationship. I, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm searching for God, but I'm looking for a God that won't mess with my lifestyle. I'm looking for God, but I'm looking for a God that, that feels this way about that. I'm looking for a God, but I'm looking for a God of love. You know, that Old Testament God, you know, I just look for God of love and, you know, find him. Unless you're willing to find the God who is. And he says, I am who I am. Will you search for me no matter if your search ends up with a God that you didn't expect to find or not? If you will deal with the real God, with the real biblical God, you'll find me. But as long as you're looking for a God that you understand, well, I'm looking, I don't think God would, and I don't think God, no, no, I don't really know what God would do because I don't really understand God. I'm just on a search for the real God, and I want to find him no matter what. 
God will reveal himself to you if you look for him that way. But I might have to make any difference. See, people, they're looking for their own God that agrees with them. They're looking for a God of clay, and we mold clay. God revealed himself as a fire, and fire molds us. Fire changes us. Let me tell you, people are going to find God if they search for him that way. They'll find God if they search for him that way. Is that the way you is that the way you search for him? Are you trying to meet God on your standards? The God that you invent. You know, there's probably a reason one of the commandments is not to make any graven images. There's probably a reason for that, friend. Because whatever image I make of God is, pro- is not going to be a true image. Because my, my understanding of God is going to be limited. I have to take what has been revealed. And I have to accept what's been revealed. And if I don't like that, I can invent my own God if I want to, I guess. I mean, I guess that's okay. You can do whatever you want to do. But you'll never find a real God. You hear the grace? Moses, Moses, come closer. hear the grace? But you hear the truth? Righteousness, justice, burning bush. Don't come any closer. Don't get too flippant. Don't get too flippant with me. You got to be serious. Take your shoes off, Moses. Hear the grace, Moses, Moses, Moses. Come on. But that's close enough. You're, you're playing with God here, Moses. Hear the grace and the truth combined. It's only one place in all of Scripture that you find that little phrase, grace and truth. And John 1.14 says, Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And a lot of people love Jesus because he's a loving guy and, and, you know, blessed are the merciful and says all those cool things, you know. But he's also the one that says, you know, don't, 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 don't say to me, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I tell you to do. Grace, truth combined. It's a true God. It's a true Jesus. Have you met that one? Really? I mean, really? Are you still trying to make one in your own image? Have you submitted to the real God? Our servers are coming to prepare for communion this morning. You come this morning to a table that Jesus instituted for us, this God of grace and truth. We do this to remember him. And as you come this morning, you can come with understanding that he is who he is. He's not who you want him to be. Who should I tell? What na- what's your name? What should I tell the Israelites? And they say, who has sent, sent me? And, you say, and he says, tell him I am who I am. Deal with it. Our... Uh, Tables are open. Some of you are going to want to come and pray here. You're going to pray about your search. Pray about this God who is. Pray about remaking him in your own image. You need to pray about that. Whatever God leads you during these next moments.
Please